As we uh, are standing, I'm going to invite all the kids out this side door for Jump Start. You guys will be back for the end of the service. So kids, you can leave with Miss Joy out that way. And uh, if you've got your Bible, please open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. If you don't have a print Bible, there is a uh, bookcase in the back with all kind of Bibles there for you. We'd love for you to grab one and open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, this is your first Sunday here. Welcome. We're going through the Old Testament book by book, one book of the Old Testament per week. Uh, we're just a little over halfway through. We are in a section of the Old Testament called wisdom literature, and Proverbs is probably the most famous example of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I, I know I say that a lot. I have a lot of favorites, uh, but Proverbs really is one of my favorite. It's certainly my favorite in the wisdom literature section. Uh, but with that in mind, let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, just the first eight verses of Proverbs. A friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together, keeping the book of Proverbs open in front of you in your lap. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit this morning, that we would have the mind of Christ. That we would know that Jesus is the wisdom from God. Holy Spirit, would you be here now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, Proverbs is probably my favorite book in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I made a list of my favorite books because I think I've said that several times. So I'm sure there are people who have a, a running list, but Proverbs is up there. Uh, what's my favorite gospel? Anybody know? Of all the four, got John. All right. Uh, the, in the New Testament, after John, my next favorite book, that really, okay, full disclosure. You know why we're doing the whole series? Does anybody really know? Like, what's my end game? My in, yeah, my wife knows. Thank you, honey. <laughs> My end game is to preach through the Old Testament so that one day you and I will be able to go through the book of Hebrews together and understand it. <laughs> Amen, right? Anyone ever tried to write Hebrews, you know? It's like, I understand it, but at the same time, I don't understand it, right? So we're, we're, we're working our way up to the graduate school of the book of Hebrews. Uh, also, in the Old Testament, my favorite prophet is the prophet Isaiah. Some of the women uh, in one of the Bible studies, I think led by Loretta, is that right, went through Isaiah. Uh, you know, Ivan Joffer has famously been teaching on Hebrews since, I think, you know, maybe the first crusade or so. You know, I think they're only into like chapter four at this point. But I'm serious. Proverbs really is one of my favorite books, and uh, it's intimidating to read through or try to explain all of Proverbs in one Sunday. But uh, if you, if it, I, I know this was a long time ago, this was like the pre-COVID world. Uh, but this month marked uh, uh, the two and a half year mark of being the pastor here, and my very first sermon series I ever preached here was on the Book of Proverbs. Raise your hand if you were here for that series, the Book of Proverbs. Wow, thank you. Uh, if you weren't here, that's great. You're going to get a recap really fast. 
Uh, the, but the benefit of Proverbs, of course, is that it has all kind of wonderful, pithy sayings. There's all kind of incredible wisdom uh, incorporated into the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs has a very personal meaning to me. It's shaped much of my life. Uh, much of my early married, married life is shaped by Proverbs. And uh, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, I would really encourage you this week, uh, July is the perfect month to try this, uh, I would encourage you to read one chapter of Proverbs per day as it corresponds to the day of the month. So today is July, what's today, July? Oh, happy Independence Day, <laughs> July 4th. So what chapter in Proverbs could you read? Proverbs chapter 4. Well, you know, if you wanted to catch up, you could read Proverbs 1 through 4, and then tomorrow morning you can read Proverbs chapter 5 and so on. You know, but what you'll find is when you read the book of Proverbs, you know, it's almost like there's too many options. You know, there's like too many little pithy sayings that sometimes I think we get bogged down, especially starting in like chapter 10 through 31. You know, there's like all of these sayings, and it's like you're trying to like, have you ever like been to Costco and you're like trying to carry a bunch of things, and then someone hands you like three more things, and then you just, it's just like too much, and it all falls out? Uh, sometimes when we read Proverbs, that's how it starts to feel, right? There's just too much. There's too many little sayings. How am I supposed to get anything out of one chapter when there's like 30 pithy sayings? Uh, well, the trick that I learned many years ago, and many others have learned this as well, and you may have already too, but if not, I'd encourage you when you go through the Proverbs uh, to look at maybe, you know, a chapter and then try to summarize what topic is being addressed. So anytime the book of Proverbs, for example, talks about laziness and the need for hard work, I just write the letter L to remind me about laziness. And then if uh, Proverbs talks about the right use of money, I just do a what? A little dollar symbol, right? And then if there's an emphasis on receiving instruction, you know, being teachable, I just write the little letters R, I. And then I've got other little things in here, but I think this is the way we start to really learn Proverbs, right? We immerse ourselves in it, and we start to look for certain patterns. Uh, so all that to say, I, I, I think Proverbs is one of the most accessible books you'll read in the Old Testament, whether you're a full-blown Christian or you are a pre-Christian. This is a great book for you uh, to dive into. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, though. And What are we going to look at this morning? Well, I want you to see the overarching argument of Proverbs and how it fits into the whole Bible, right? So that's what we're looking at this whole series, right? How do all of these books in the Old Testament, how do they tell a little part of the story of the whole story that the Bible is depicting? And it's the story of God's steadfast love, right? So how does Proverbs fit into that? Uh, well, uh, Proverbs is rooted in history because Proverbs is primarily gathered by a guy named Solomon. Uh, in Hebrew, his name was Shlomo, which is a way cooler name, just for the record. Solomon collected sayings. Uh, you know, the Old Testament tells us that he wrote many sayings, but he also was willing to gather other Proverbs from different people, uh, from men and women. Uh, sometimes we don't even know if they were Israelite, but he was uh, keen to know what was the way we were supposed to live in this life. And he was willing to go sort of outside the box and collect Proverbs. So as you read through Proverbs, you know, as it goes on, you may uh, run across a guy named Agur, and that's a collection that Solomon just really appreciated. And so later on in Proverbs, you'll see that these are the sayings of a man named Agur. And then there's King Lemuel's mother who gives advice that Solomon uh, thinks is very sound. So this is not only coming from his own heart, uh, which is really a reflection of the Lord's heart, right? But he's also looking sort of big picture, trying to find pithy sayings. Uh, so Solomon is collecting this, but who is he collecting this for? Uh, well, look at verse 8 that we just read. Who is he collecting these pithy sayings for? It's for his son, 
right? He's collecting these sayings for a son. And what, 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 let's step back even more. What is a proverb anyway? What is a proverb? Uh, a proverb is a little, you know, sort of pithy saying, right? Let's see if you know some sort of folk wisdom. Let's, know, let's see if you can fi- finish the proverb for me. A clean conscience makes a... Anyone know that last that part? A soft pillow. A clean conscience makes a soft pillow. A rolling stone gathers no moss. What does that mean? Who knows? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yep, yep, yep. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead the boy to college, but you can't make him think. Right? You can send him off. Is he going to think? We don't know. A rising tide... A rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah, so you've got it. Uh, my mother is a, a, like a wonderful source of all kind of pithy folk sayings, proverbs, you know. Uh, she, yeah, I remember when we had our first child, I was like, isn't our child just the cutest child of all time? And you know what my mother said? I love this. She said, every crow thinks her babies are the blackest. <laughs> isn't that great? And then she said, yes, your baby is the cutest baby of all time. See, folk wisdom, right? You know, so, uh, you know, I know there, there are fathers in the room who have published their own books of just proverbial sayings for their sons before they go off to college. Uh, some of them are based on Scripture. Some of them are just sort of, you know, a way of life. Uh, I think there's something beautiful to this depiction, if you can, when you enter the book of Proverbs, that it's a loving dad, right? The, the dad in this book is, is not the abusive evil dad or the dad who withholds approval. This is the, the godly father who loves his children, who wants them to thrive. My son, my son, my son. He keeps repeating that because he wants his son to thrive, right? And he's collecting all of this proverbial wisdom. And why do we need so many proverbs, right? Isn't that like, what, why, why, why do we need wisdom? Isn't that what the law is for? Isn't that what the Ten Commandments are for? Well, of course, as we all know in life, the moral rules, right, the right thing to do, the law doesn't always tell us what the wise thing to do is, right? Should I sell my car right now because prices are up, or should I hold on to it in case the apocalypse happens? You know? I don't know. Don't act like that thought hasn't gone through your mind. Well, that's a wisdom question. Uh, you know, my, one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, famously uh, said this, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in the 80% of life situations in which the moral rules don't provide clear answers. Should you go to tech school or should you go to college? Should you marry person A or marry person B? What kind of movies should you watch? The moral rules are not always clear. That's why we need wisdom. That's why we need uh, the community of people who have agreed to follow by God's law. Because we need to know what are those decisions we're supposed to make in the 80% of our lives where the law doesn't actually tell us what to do. You know, you may have heard me share this with you before, but oftentimes when people come to me for advice, you know, they don't come saying, well, you know, Dustin, should I be generous or should I just be like super greedy? Which one, what, what does God want me to do? That's never the question. It's never that easy, right? It's always like, should I do option A, which could bring God glory, or should I do option B, which could also sort of, you know, bring God glory? And then, like, my heart wants to do option B, but maybe that's wrong because I have Christian guilt, so I should do option A, right? Those are those kind of questions we're thinking of, right? Uh, 
And this is really what Proverbs is meant to teach us. How do we make these kind of decisions for the 80% of your life where the moral law doesn't actually tell you which college to pick, right? Or whether or not you should buy an RV or a retirement home, right? Or whether you should sell your house now or double down and invest in it. Friends, if that's, you know, sort of the life you're living in, uh, this is what Proverbs has to offer you and me. Uh, But the first thing you've got to see, of course, is that uh, when we look at Solomon's life, sort of the defining moment in Solomon's life, the guy who wrote this, uh, the defining feature of Solomon is that he wants wisdom. He wants wisdom. You know, my my mentor once told me, he said, you know what the the best attribute is in a job description or in in a job interview? What should you most present in a job interview? Wanting the job. (laughs) Pretty good proverbial advice, right? The key to wisdom is do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? Right? That's sort of step one, right? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us the famous story of Solomon showing us that he wants wisdom. Remember, God comes to Solomon in 1 Kings 3 and he offers him what? Anything. He says, ask me anything. What do you want? And Solomon says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? That is such a wonderfully beautiful backhanded compliment. (laughs) This great people of yours that, you know, anyway, it's great. (laughs) And what does the Lord respond to Solomon with? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for what? wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I'll give you what you ask for. Right? Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise? You know, it's funny to me, when I think about this question, it it always sticks out as interesting to me that it really doesn't matter whether you are 13 or 83 or anywhere in between, everybody wants to be wise. Have you noticed that? Like, even when you watch, like, you know, movies, you know, and you have, like, the bad guy, the bad guy's always, like, super intelligent, right? And he thinks he knows something about how the world really operates. And he alone has this sort of secret information, this inside scoop, and everybody else is just a doofus except for him. Right? I mean, if you think about like classic mafia movies, like even the mob boss thinks he knows how to manage his team well, right? thinks he knows how to do the logistics of the business. Right? Everybody, even the quote-unquote bad guys, like to think they have wisdom. Right? And just like every teenager and every you know, boomer and zoomer and everybody before and after that group, we all want to be wise. That doesn't mean we all have the same level of intelligence or even care about you know, degrees on our wall or anything. But we all want to be wise. And the beautiful thing is, is if you want to be a wise person, to know how to make these kind of decisions, that 80% where the law isn't actually going to tell you what to do. The good news is that God promises you and me that wisdom is available right now to you. Wisdom is available. Uh, James tells us this in the New Testament. Uh, James writes, if you need wisdom... Do you need wisdom? If your answer isn't yes, you need wisdom. (laughs) Only the wise got that pithy saying. The fools are like, what? (laughs) If you need wisdom, which is all of us, ask our generous God and he will what? He'll give it to you. (laughs) 
He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Friends, do you want to be wise? Do you know that God will give you wisdom if you ask for it? But ask in confidence in God alone. So wisdom is available, right? And that's exactly what verse 2 tells us in Proverbs chapter 1. Why is Solomon writing this book of Proverbs? Why is he collecting all of this information? Well, he tells you right there in verse 2, so that his son would know wisdom and instruction, right? And this is so profound. I know, if you, you, I know it's early in the morning, but so much of philosophies and world religions and sort of worldviews, sort of they all hinge on this idea that there's like this secret compartment this secret, you know, cachet of wisdom that you've got to like know, you know, like you got to go somewhere, you got to go to this mountain and you got to meet the guru and the guru will tell you like the violet rose blooms in winter and you're like, oh, that's what I do with my life, right? You're supposed to decipher all these like weird sayings. Apparently you haven't been to that guru, I have, no. <laughs> but you know, we have this idea that there's these like secret hidden information, right? That there's like this other category of knowledge that I don't have. Maybe this, the elites have it, right? But this is the exact opposite of how the book of Proverbs actually presents wisdom. It's not secret. It's not hidden. If you look in Proverbs chapter 1, uh, Proverbs uses this wonderful analogy, this wonderful metaphor. Uh, Solomon depicts wisdom as a woman, a confident, assertive woman who is in the marketplaces, and she's in the streets, uh, Proverbs 1, verse 20 and 22 say this, Wisdom, like this woman, cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Right? Wisdom in the biblical understanding, right, uh, is actually accessible to you and me. It is available. It is not hidden off in some weird closet on top of a guru's closet in a mountain. It is available to you today. When Proverbs conceptualizes wisdom, it is like this woman right downtown yelling to anyone who will listen to her. <laughs> She's literally crying out in the street. She's in the marketplace. She is in your everyday life. The question is, do you have ears to hear it? I mean, how different is this than how we think of wisdom? You know, and, uh, you, know, you know, what is wisdom? Um, I think the easiest way to sort of understand, there's all kind of different definitions of what wisdom is, and they all, you know, they all shed light on it. You know, um, William Perkins is a famous Puritan, and uh, to steal from him, wisdom is the science of living blessedly forever, right? It's the science of living blessedly. It's living your everyday life so that God blesses you. It's living in a way that God's blessing falls on you. Um, you know, the Westminster Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and to what? And enjoy him forever. So you could say that wisdom is living in God's world so that you glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's what wisdom is, glorifying God in the world that he created so that we enjoy him forever. There's all kind of different explanations of wisdom. You know, another one is wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes, right? But, you know, 
the book of Proverbs doesn't always define wisdom. Instead, it gives us mental pictures that we can hold on to. Uh, so see if this image makes sense. This is what makes sense to me. You know, like, let's compare just for a moment wisdom and intelligence, right? You know, smartness versus wisdom, right? Uh, think about your phone, right? Your phone, let's say you have a really fancy phone, and it uploads things really fast. It operates super fast, right, your phone. Uh, well, sort of your intelligence, your smartness, is sort of like the speed at which your brain functions, right? It's like the fastness of your phone. But wisdom tells you what to look at on your phone and what not to look at on your phone. Uh, think about it this way. Your, your smartness level, your intelligence, I don't even know if smartness is probably, is probably not even a word, but I'm going to use it anyway because I like speaking in the vernacular. <laughs> Y'all keep living. Your smartness gets you into college, right? Your intelligence will get you into college, but wisdom does what? It tells you what to do with your life. It tells you how to have a meaningful life, right? Intelligence, you know, your, your smartness level, you know, you may be really, 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 really smart. You may know everything there is to know about the Bible. Congratulations, you're very smart. But wisdom, wisdom is knowing how to apply the gospel to your everyday life. How do I live out of the grace of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ? That's a wisdom question. Smartness, okay, you know everything there is in the Bible. So did the Pharisees. But did they know the gospel? See, wisdom is this other thing, isn't it? It's this other way of life. And the good news, friends, is that I think you want it. And the even better news is it's available to you. So how do we acquire wisdom? We'll look at verse 8 again. Solomon says what? He says, hear, my son. You see, the way that you and I acquire wisdom primarily, and this is so beautiful, the way that you and I acquire wisdom is primarily through community and through family. It's by doing life together with a group of people, right? The way that Solomon's son is going to be wise is by listening and receiving instruction from his father and from his mother. And notice how many times Solomon is pleading with his son to receive instruction. All right, go to Proverbs 2, verse 1. What does he say? My son. Proverbs 3, 1. My son. Proverbs 4, 1. Hear, oh son. Proverbs 5, 1. My son. Proverbs 6, 1. My son. Proverbs 7, 1. You don't even need to look. <laughs> it's context clues. Y'all are very smart. My son. Right? Over and over and over again, we get this impression. It's like we are watching the community of God's people share wisdom. My son, my son, my son. Uh, you know, I guess what I'm, I'm driving at is the way that we become wise is more um, a matter of cultivation than it is innovation. You catch that? Wisdom is more a matter for you and me of cultivation than it is innovation. You know, I know we, I love innovation. It's great to be creative. That's wonderful. You're going to need to innovate to be wise, but primarily the way that Scripture envisions a wise life is by cultivating, 
tilling up the soil, planting the right seeds, taking a long time to learn the terroir, the terrain of the land, right? Wisdom is a, is a, is a way of life that you cultivate, not just create all by yourself and say, I'm not going to listen to anybody else. In fact, that's the height of foolishness, isn't it? Because wisdom is listening to those two words, right? My son, my son. You know, and it's funny, it's funny, you know, because so much of what Solomon will say to his son is stay on the right path, right? Isn't that just a, such a cliche? Um, stay on the right path. And isn't that what we all want for our kids? Um, you know, the funny thing is, is, you know, what you think about the path is almost always determined by one thing, whether or, no, or not you know what it's like to be off the path. Only the people who know what it's like to step on thorns and to lose their way and to be utterly miserable know the beauty of being on the path, right? Oh, come on. There's no amen on that one? I know you people. Some of you people have been way off the path. And by God's grace, you've been brought back on the path. And that's what you try to tell your kids, right? You know, it's, that, it's, that, it's, the, it's the surprising irony that only somebody who's been through alcoholism sees the beauty in sobriety, right? Only when you're off the path, hmm, does the path start to look really good. You know, Jesus tells an elongated proverb. He tells a parable to that same effect. And who is it that really finally understands the love of the father? It's the prodigal son who's eaten the pods with the pigs. He says, my dad's house wasn't really that bad after all, right? It's when we go off the path that there's the possibility for many of us that we can see the beauty in the path, right? You see, but wisdom is something that's meant to be passed from person to person, right? Within that family, listening to the fathers, the mothers, the mentors, right? And it's not something that we innovate just sort of on our own. It's something that we cultivate. You know, one of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 6, 16. And it says, thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. My friends, wisdom is ideally learned in your home and in your family. It's not a matter of innovating new morals. It is all about cultivating a heart of virtue, cultivating a heart that is all on the same ancient paths that hopefully your parents and your grandparents walked. But even more importantly, it's the path that Christ walked. And he calls you to follow him on the ancient paths of God's wisdom. Right? And there's a beauty to it, but I don't know if you see the beauty yet. So all that to say, you know, when we get to these Proverbs, it's important to know that they're not always, you know, just absolute guarantees, right? Um, you know, these are not just guarantees, and this is a big part of why we need community. Because there are sometimes you need to leave well enough alone, and then there's other times when the early bird, so which one is it? This is what you need mentors and family and community people, because sometimes you need, you need to leave well enough alone, and there's other times you need to just, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Man, you guys have such good proverbial knowledge, see? Yeah. Don't find that one in the Bible, but it is in Second Opinions, everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Suck it up, buttercup. Second Opinions 316. 
See, this is why we need community, because Proverbs are not absolute guarantees. Uh, they're not like the other passages of Scripture where we can base our soul and eternity on them. Instead, Proverbs is meant to sort of be a dialogue, right? Sometimes the other bird gets the worm, and sometimes you just need to take a nap and trust Jesus, right? So which is it? Well, you know, if, that, if, that's, if that's hard for you, uh, you know, to embrace that Proverbs are meant to be used as sort of tools that sometimes they apply, sometimes they apply in other situations. Uh, notice that Proverbs makes this exact point itself. It's meant to be something that you talk to other people about who love the Lord so they can help you apply God's wisdom to your situation. It's not meant to be something you figure out all on your own, right? Solomon doesn't want his son figuring this out on his own. He wants his son to listen to him. And sometimes these are the things to do, and sometimes they're not. Uh, if you look at Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, Proverbs makes this exact point. This is some of my favorite Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 say this, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools online, or you will become just as foolish as they are in the eyes of everyone else. Amen. Don't answer the foolish argument of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. Very next verse. Be sure to answer the foolish argument of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. So which is it? Do you answer a fool according to his folly, or do you not answer a fool according to his folly? You see, friends, the answer to that question eludes the individual, and it is found in the community of God. It's found when you can go to your father or your mother or your spiritual father and spiritual mother and say, what do I do in the 80% when the law doesn't tell me? Do I need to dropkick this fool or do I need to leave well enough alone? Jesus says, if you deny me, you know, I will be ashamed of you in heaven. But Jesus also says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Jesus says, be as innocent as doves. And then what does he say? Be wise as serpents. And you go, hmm, I'm going to need to chew on that one. When do I apply? When do I not? You know, this question about family, it's interesting when you think about the way Jesus teaches family you know, there's a moment where Mary and Jesus' siblings show up, and they, wanna, they want Jesus to come back home. You know, they're a little worried about him. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12, verse 46 through 48. Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, friends, in the Bible's conception of family, you and I and all of those who bow the knee to King Jesus are a family. We are a family. And you need your family to learn wisdom. And you have familial obligations to one another to exhort one another while it is still day that none of us would be tricked by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, this is the family that Jesus is creating. You know, we all don't look alike. 
We all don't have the same socioeconomic background. Our skin colors are different. You know, some of us are young, some of us are old, some of us are eh, somewhere. But God's spirit dwells in his people. And God gives us the family of God so that we can do what Solomon did with his son and say, when does this apply? When, this, when doesn't this? You know, uh, some of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible are Ephesians chapter 4, because primarily because they speak to what I do. But in Ephesians 4, Paul says these words. He says, however, God has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You know, everyone ever gotten those like special gift baskets from Harry and David? You know, and they have all kind of cool stuff. Imagine a gift basket with just everything that you love, right? God has given each one of us a special basket. And what is in the basket? Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Friends, your gift from Jesus Christ is the pool of mentors and pastors and hopefully your father and your mother and your grandparents and all the people that invest in you. That is the gift of God. And friends, nobody has the same gift basket as you do. If I asked everybody in this room, name 10 people who have influenced your life for good, nobody in the room would have the same 10 names, would they? Of course they wouldn't, because that's God's gift of grace to you. The question, of course, is if we have all of this, right, what do we need to do with the gift basket? What do we need to do with the wisdom? If it's found in community, if it's found in God's word, what do we need to do? Uh, well, Proverbs chapter 1, you know, the section that we just read, it's sort of like the best movie trailer where you, know, you learn everything about the movie, but it just makes you want to watch it more. When you read Proverbs 1 through 8, it's everything that Proverbs is going to talk about, but it gives you a thirst to, to just drink in the book of Proverbs in community. And in chapter 3, Proverbs, uh, Solomon writes that he is writing the book of Proverbs so that you and I would receive instruction. And friends, that is what you and I have to do if we're going to be wise. Uh, for, do you want to be wise? Do you know it's available? Uh, do you know it's found in the community of God's people as they study his word together? And what you and I need to do is we need to receive instruction right? Uh, you know, the, the other way of saying this, I, if you go to Proverbs 12.1, I like it when Proverbs is really clear. Flip over to Proverbs 12.1. Uh, Solomon, right, trying to get it through his teenage son's head, right? He says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, that is being corrected, is what? Stupid. <laughs> yeah. You can tell he's talking to a teenage guy right there, can't you? Look, if you don't like being corrected, you're just stupid, son, right? Verse 13.1, same theme. You could write R-I in your Bible right next to this verse if you want to. A wise son does what? Hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. I can keep going, Proverbs 13.10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who what? Take advice is wisdom. You see, friends, the, the irony of being wise really is in being humble, knowing that you don't know everything. Uh, but friends, the kind of humility that the Bible envisions, that the gospel gives you, is not the kind of like false humility 
where you're like, well, I don't know everything, so I'm just going to manipulate my team to do really well, or I'm just going to use other people because I don't know everything. There's a deeper level of humility that's a heart humility that's given to people who trust in Jesus, right? Because we acknowledge that not only have we gone off the path, we're dead on the path, and we're dead out in the thorns. And we, as the Bible says, we were dead in our sins. We are the victims of sin, and we are sinners. And until we repent and turn from that life and confess that there is no way that I can cry out to myself, Lazarus, come out of that tomb, unless I acknowledge that only through the voice of Jesus Christ calling me to himself can I be saved, I'll never really be humble in the way that Proverbs tells us to be humble. Because true humility is centered on acknowledging who I am and who the Lord is. And if you know the Lord, you'll know that he is holy and just, and he will by no means clear the guilty. He will not grade on a curve. And he doesn't, not because you and I have earned it, but because Jesus took the full brunt of the punishment that you and I deserved. God doesn't grade on a curve. The cross is not a curve. The cross is justice. But because God loves you with such a great love, he was willing to do that, and it was the joy set before him to save you. But friends, to know God in that way, it forever humbles you, and it makes you teachable, so that if friends or family members or the book of Proverbs tells you to come back to the path, you're willing to hear it. You're willing to hear it because pride doesn't stop you anymore. You have a heart that's humble. It's the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 7. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. It's acknowledging he is holy, I am not, but he is loving and gracious and good. And so it's not a fear that's terrified. It's a fear that utterly respects him. So friends, uh, let me just wrap up. I'd so encourage you to read Proverbs. So encourage you to read Proverbs this month. Uh, if you're joining us in the Ephraim co-op, we're going to be reading Proverbs every day. Uh, but don't ever forget this, friends, that when you and I study Proverbs, we are seeing the mind of Jesus Christ, which is yours in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. And Father, I pray for our congregation and every soul right now that we would be wise and wise unto salvation, that you would give us humble hearts, uh, teachable by your spirit. Uh, Father, that more and more this would be a community of faith uh, that shares your truth, that exhorts one another to do the hard work of following your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, thank you that your wisdom leads to the greatest human flourishing. And Father, may we never forget that, and may we always trust that your way is the best way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.